Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. You can live a long, healthy life if you're HIV positive. With the current treatments, we can get patients down to being undetectable. The array of options is so much greater today. You equals you. Undetectable equals untransmittable. If someone who's HIV positive, they're taking their medication, they're undetectable, they're not able to pass HIV to their partners. Do it for you, Montgomery County. Your HIV treatment is their prevention. Get more information at doitforyoumc.org. Hey, Rush Nation, before we get to today's show, which is an absolute banger, trust me on this, I want to tell you about the fantasy football playbook. Murph and I have been working really hard, blood, sweat and tears have been pushed into our first publication and we are pleased to announce what you must have seen on Twitter by now, but we are releasing on June the 1st. It's a book about fantasy football. Shock, this is a fantasy football podcast, but it's got strategy guides for all formats, rookie player profile reviews, Murph's PAS metric, which is exclusive to the podcast and the book, and it is currently on pre-sale. So get it cheaper before it goes up on June the 1st. Head over to fiveyardrush.co.uk into the shop and go buy yourself the fantasy football playbook. Scott Hansen here from NFL Red Zone. I hope you're checking out one hour of Five Yard Rush, one of the best podcasts on NFL football in the UK. Yo, what's happening, Rush Nation? We're back. New week, new us. Same old us. Murph's beard is even more glorious. You can see him on the video and his hair is... I I genuinely think, mate, it is movie worthy. I do. Uh, Mate, it's horrible. The thing is, the one thing... the one saving grace is that on the video you can't see the grays um i don't know how and i don't know how that's worked but there's a lot of gray and it's uh yeah at some point i might just shave the whole thing off it's, it is it's the, not mark, good. the mark of a true viking it is magnificent <sighs> yeah. i mean we're supposed to be excited about pirates this year i suppose so if i get the patch i'm all set 
you, you look like a man who's been up late nights writing a book, my friend. <laughs> well, if any, oh wait, that is true. Yeah. That's exactly what's been going on up very late. At least the book now is is nearly. I mean, I know we're we're scheduling to release it next Friday, so we've cut this fine. But I've spent the last few days on charts and uh, nearly is it next done. Next Friday. Yeah. Uh, no, sorry, next Sunday. Okay. That's fine. That, that, that makes it a little easier. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, it's because I've got work month end, and I always associate the two the same, but that's not true. The 29th is... So yeah, next Sunday. Um, but we'll be done by then. It's uh, uh, yep. it's nearly, nearly there. 100%. Well, if you haven't heard about the book, Murph and I have written a fantasy football guide. It's called the Fantasy Football Playbook. You can get it for a reduced price of five ninety nine over at fiveyardrush.co.uk. It's on pre-sale till 1st of June? Yeah. 31st of May. 31st of May. Okay. So yeah, and then it goes up to 7.99 Murph. Yeah. Yeah, so it's still very reasonable. It's less than 10 bucks if you're listening to this in the US. Um uh, it's it's you know, we we it's a lot of content in there. There's a lot of, as I mentioned, there's a lot of charts uh, uh for the appendix. Uh, oh mate, so it's, many. <laughs> it's it's over th- yeah, it's like 30 pages of charts uh, and info. So uh that goes into the making of the book. So um definitely uh, pre-order. We're also running a pre-order competition. Um if we get uh, at time of recording another 17 people, then we will throw in an, a new first prize. So as a little tease, just this 17 more pre-orders. Then even be news, a, news to me, Rush. It, it is, yeah. No, I've been working on something this. that if we reach the level, um, I'm not going to disclose what the level is publicly, but um, it's 17 off that. Um, so if we hit 17 more orders, then there's going to be a really good uh, first place prize. Okay, Dad, if you're listening, go and buy a book, mate. No. <laughs> <laughs> right, Rush Nation, enough about us and the book. Let's introduce today's guest. He's been on before. Murph has returned the favour and been on his podcast, but he is the host of Fits on Fantasy, contributes to thefootballgirl.com. It is Pat Fitzmorris. Pat, welcome back, buddy. How are you doing? Stocks, Murph, I'm doing very well. Thank you, uh, all things considered. Um, yeah, the world has definitely taken a, a dramatic turn since the last time I spoke with both of you, but uh, glad it's given you some book writing time. I'm anx- anxious to see the five yard rush preseason publication. So that'll be fun. Yeah. Well, we, we did. So spoiler alert, and I've shared this with you, Pat, so don't mind saying uh, we did write a little thanks to you for being a, a big supporter of our work and what we do. And, um you know one of our favorite guests that's why uh you've come on for your hat trick appearance uh you've done something that no Tottenham player has done this season and and scored a hat trick so (laughs) (laughs) finding a way to twist the knife even uh even with the season suspended appreciate that uh I'm sure someone's gonna dig me out and say that's not true Son or Kane did it in this game or whatever don't at me I don't care um genuinely really really don't care um (laughs) I just thought it was a, a clever quip um so yeah so like i said it, it it's exciting we'll we'll get you over a copy when uh when it's uh when it's out or when it's finished we might even get you an advanced copy depending on how so close the 20, to the the 29th. It. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, it, it's really nearly there just uh some formatting some we've had the proofread back so a little bit to do in there there a little well, that's bit. great and, and thank you for uh the chance to make the hat trick appearance really appreciate that it is an honor a sincere honor and i do appreciate it uh, I'm, not, I'm not gonna lie it's a pretty exclusive club i think there's three maybe four people in it now so it is uh 
it is exclusive um but it's always a pleasure to talk to you um and as I've always said, every time you've been on, and we've picked up quite a lot of new listeners since you've last been on, um, but you do the podcast that uh, Stocks talked about. I went on there in October. Uh, it was not after the London Games. Um, and then you were on here um, towards the end of last season. Um, but, you know, you've been on fire with the podcast recently. Um, you know, you're rich, you know, your last few guests are incredible, you know. Rich uh, Hybra and John Daigle, Joe Dolan's podcast favorite, who came on in January, who we absolutely love, uh, Dave Caban and, and John Paulson, which was released today. I haven't listened to that one yet, I'll be honest, but I've got that queued up. Uh, but I know of his work as well. So you got quite a stellar lineup, my friend. You you oh, seem well, to always pull the big guns, and then you lowered the tone and brought me on for an episode. <laughs> oh, please. <laughs> oh, it was a pleasure to have you on, and we got to get stocks on soon, too. Uh, well, Definitely. That, that's, I am no Murph. <laughs> let's, 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 let's iron that one out. But, Pat, what, what have you been doing since we last spoke, and how are you managing with COVID? Well, um, my wife and I are both lucky enough to be able to have jobs that allow us to work from home. And uh, our two children, ages 14 and 13, both middle schoolers, are able to uh, do Zoom classes and work remotely. The schools have done a pretty good job of of keeping things up as best they can, I guess. And, uh, you know, we're just sort of lucky. I know both of you guys are kind of in the the country, and we sort of are too. Um, You know, not, not that remote. There are, you know, it's a good sized village that we live in, but, you know, there's it's not as densely packed as the city of Chicago nearby is. And uh, we're fortunate to have a nice big park just down the street. So, you know, good for walking and running. And if my son and I want to throw the football around a little bit there. um, So all things considered, I think we're luckier than most, but uh, you know, I do miss sports having just sports, not only football, but you know, this would be, the height of baseball season here in the States. And, um, you know, I miss golf tournaments and, uh, you know, it was sad not getting the end of the basketball seasons and the hockey seasons. I I miss all that immensely. And I was watching German soccer this past weekend, (laughs) familiarizing myself with some of those squads. And I'm very eager for the uh, premiership to resume in uh, what, maybe a week and a half's time. So I think that might be delayed. Um, oh no, it's not going to be June first. Is that the news? It's, no, it's not going to be June first. They had um, they've only allowed people back to train today, and uh, they did um, random testing. Well, not random. They did a complete test, but it was anonymous. And six players or staff of three different clubs have tested positive for COVID. No, um, no. So I, I still think it will happen. I think it'll be more mid June. There's players who don't want to play. I, they got to iron out a lot of things. I don't think they're they're close to to where this is a week and a half. I think it's going to be a month, maybe mm. a bit less. Um, I thought the Bundesliga. I watched that this weekend, and I couldn't get into it. And I've watched the Bundesliga before. I'm not like a novice. I know who the players are for the most part. Maybe obviously a few. I don't. I don't watch week in week out. But just without the fans, if you're not invested in that league, and I'm not overly invested, I don't really have a team, um, it's quite a difficult watch because there's no noise, there's no drama. And I think that's part of my worry when it comes to sports behind closed doors. It's very different when it's your team and you're watching because you'll just be happy to have it back. And I guess each sport will be different. But 
I didn't think the Bundesliga was a resounding success. I didn't think it was a failure, but it didn't really scratch. It didn't really relieve that that itch that I had for sport. I I then put on uh, old games instead because I thought that was more enjoyable. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, it will be interesting if they wind up doing that with the NFL and do not have the crowds. And and fortunately, I mean, if there is one small blessing to come out of this it's that the timing is works at such to give the nfl like the maximum possible time to prepare for this and um you know i don't know if they will be able to adequately prepare and get things started on time and play the full season fingers crossed on all that i know that they're trying to reopen some of the practice facilities uh, in the week to come and and hopefully we get something close to a normal timetable but i guess that remains to be seen I, I saw something this week, and I haven't verified it to double check, but I believe that all the teams that play each other in week two are on the same bye week. Yeah, they are. So, yes. yeah. So I think they have laid some contingency tracks to where if they need to to lose a week from the schedule, obviously they can postpone. They've got a long off season between the Super Bowl and when the, the official league year ends. So you've already got a six, seven week window what was it actually less than that it's probably about five or five or six weeks um baked into where you could delay the start and still be fine but you've also got an extra week if you need to cram it in there um if in week two to where you effectively just push it back a week um put week one in week two and then just not have bye weeks which is something that could happen yeah, it does seem like they have some of those fail-safes built in in case uh, you know there's a, an outbreak and they have to shut things down for two or three weeks. Yeah, so I I, I think it, it will go ahead. I know Joe Buck was saying this week that they were thinking about pumping in crowd noise as a way to add atmosphere. That would really, that would really... Be weird. That would be awful. <laughs> I've been, be by the way, so I've been to a stadium that pumps in crowd noise um, and it's terrible. It's really bad. Like, it's just not, it doesn't work. And it insults the intelligence of, of the fans, I think. I think with sports like NFL, especially over here, I actually think not having fans might be popular because you could realistically learn a lot about the game. You'll hear the calls, you'll hear the interaction between the players, between snaps. You'll hear a lot of things that you don't hear. And a lot of it is so tactically based. I think you viewers could learn a lot i mean the risk of that is obviously the opposition can then learn a lot <laughs> but i think there's a lot of things that could be learned whereas i think with, with with soccer there isn't that kind of thing you might hear run 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 move 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 uh square it man on well you hear the terms but it's not really the same because it's a live moving game you don't have those same tactical implications uh, where you've got the time to you know be strategic, so I don't know. It's going to be interesting either way. I just hope it, it starts on time and, and and gets going. Amen to that. Yes, hopefully, and and hopefully without the canned crowd noise idea, because I agree that would be just strange and somehow out of place. Mm. Yeah, it, it just wouldn't work. I I think you could, given the amount of personalists attached to each team. I think there's still going to be enough people to where you could create some noise. Get it's not like full capacity, but the entourages, everybody, all the teams, if they all sat in the stands and made noise, it it, it would still generate some noise. You put the mics down there, it would still generate something. Um, but we'll see what happens. 
hundred percent. That's a bit of a well, it's a fantasy we don't want to come true. But let's talk about some fantasy that has happened, Pat. Let's talk about your twenty nineteen fantasy season. How did that end up? How did you do? Did you win any ships? One championship, actually my first, I've only been really into dynasty for now for two or three seasons and, and finally won my first dynasty championship. And that was actually in uh, an overtime Ireland league. I play in with a, a lot of uh, fellows from the UK. So that was kind of nice to win that one. Um, redraft, not as well. No championships in the, the five or six, uh, I think it's six redraft leagues that I'm in. Had one that was especially painful because uh, I shared that team with a friend and I, I thought we just, you know, rounds uh, three through eight for us after we missed, I think on wide receivers, I think we started from the back of the first round with like Juju Smith Schuster and Odell Beckham. But then in rounds three through eight, I think like was the best stretch of a draft that I've ever been involved with where we just, hit home runs on basically every pick in that range. And this was just a powerhouse team. And, um, you know, after storming through the league at like 13 and one or 12 and two, we were tripped up in the semifinals. So that was one of the more painful losses I've had in recent memory, but um, so kind of a mixed bag. I mean, there, there were no disaster teams, but uh, you know, not the championship bag was maybe a little lighter than I would have liked didn't get the payoffs you you deserved for that that's uh i think there's a lot of people that i found there were a lot of number one teams teams that finished first in their in in the regular season that did not win their leagues this year um more so i feel than most leagues because it seemed to be week 14 was an absolute disaster for people and then week 15 wasn't a whole lot better and then all of a sudden week 16 went to form and I, I bet if you looked at the scores if, if you'd got through your semi-final you would have won your final because your team would have probably fired and the year before was sort of like that too if I recall correctly uh week 15 of 2018 was sort of a bizarre week and I think there were a lot of uh favorites that got dumped because they had you know some of the guys who had been high performers all year just hit the skids in that week and there were a lot of guys like that so um yeah, I mean, that's, you just have to keep knocking on the door, I guess. And, and you know, the regular season success is sort of the great indicator of, of um, year-to-year consistency. But once you get into the playoffs and the one-game elimination, anything can happen. So you just have to keep knocking on the door and, and maximizing, optimizing strategy to whatever extent you can. And then just hope the luck breaks your way in the playoffs. So let's talk some Packers. Let's talk their NFL draft. Pat, what happened? No, oh, what an abject disaster, Stocks. It was so bad. Um, yeah, I'm not sure. So their general manager, Brian Gutekunst, has said that the draft just sort of fell that way, which is kind of unbelievable when you consider that they actually traded up to take Jordan Love. So I think he was the plan for them all along. Uh, regardless of what the general manager says. You know, I think part of the allure of taking a rookie quarterback is that if you hit on a good rookie, a good young quarterback, having that guy guiding your franchise on his rookie contract is like one of the, the best value bonuses you can possibly have in the NFL. You've got this cheap quarterback at a normally very handsomely paid position, and then you can afford to, uh, increase investments at other position groups. 
that uh, potential value is just sort of defeated if you say that you're going to let your incumbent quarterback continue on and, and play as long as he'd like. Um, and if that's true, and I'm not sure I believe that either, um, you know, Aaron Rodgers plays for two or three years. They have no idea what they're getting from Jordan Love until his contract is expired or nearly expired, and they've got to re-up and presumably pay him a lot more. So it just kind of doesn't make any sense either way unless you're going to get rid of Aaron Rodgers. And, uh, you know, does that make sense? Because are you doing it prematurely when he's still – a pretty good quarterback and playing at a high level. So really hated that move. And then the second day of the draft might actually have been worse. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, well, Murph, I completely agree. Yeah. Murph called it the worst draft he has probably ever seen. Do you think that's a little bit harsh or would you agree? Um, other ones that come to mind the year, the saints traded their entire draft for Ricky Williams. Yeah. I, I think that was probably a, a squandered draft. Um, and the Packers actually had a maybe worse draft in 2004 where they whiffed on a couple of cornerbacks in the first two rounds. And the first one was kind of a, a known disaster because he was uh, drafted mainly for his sub four, three, 40 yard dash time. And, um, ah, that's the school of John Gruden. <laughs> <laughs> Ahmad Carroll was this guy's name and he could not cover at all without committing pass interference. And they also traded up to take a punter in the third round that year. So that was a really poor draft. Um, but yeah, this is uh, certainly the worst of any team this year and and one of the worst in franchise history. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm not a favorite draft you're, you're mentioning, uh, or I certainly don't remember it. I do remember the trading up for a punter, but and I don't remember that one not particularly working out brilliantly, similar to the Bucks trading up for a kicker that didn't work out. But, you know, in the later rounds, I, I, I don't really mind it, even if it doesn't work, because you can at least see what they were trying to do, fill a position of need. And in the sense of punter, they were, they were trying to extend their field advantage, uh, field placement of the ball. There was at least a strategy. You could look at it and go, okay, it's wrong. It's completely ridiculous. You're not getting the value for it. But, at least I can see some remnants of what you're trying to do with this Packers draft. I have no idea. Like it, it just doesn't make any, any sense that you go quarterback round one trade up when you've got Rogers, who you can't let go for three years. And even if you trade him, you're still going to have a load of dead cap from his signing. So that's going to be tricky. And then you've got a running back in AJ Dillon, who is a good running back. Don't get me wrong, but you're basically, you're drafting him as insurance that if you don't re-up Aaron Jones, which is possible, but the guy scored 19 touchdowns last year. So I doubt that's going to happen unless he has a significant injury or he holds out for a ridiculous amount of money. And in which case, then that draft pick might pay off. The tight end was weird. I didn't get that pick uh, as well. Um, And it was only really you got into the sixth round. I thought the sixth round was the best round of the Packers draft with (laughs) it. (laughs) <laughs> where yeah, you drafted some positions of I wouldn't have said need but of depth where you think okay these guys could potentially make the roster an ad but for a team that gave up a, you know 186 yards before contact um, in the NFC Championship game and were one game from the Super Bowl it didn't really show a lot of faith to the team that got there that hey we're just going to give you those those couple of uh, little picks that, that get you there 
Yeah, it was just a strange draft. I mean, it's not like some teams where they had needs all over the field, but, um, you know, they did have some pretty clearly drawn needs. Wide receiver was a, a screaming need. Defensive end uh, could have used an inside linebacker, could have used uh, maybe a slot cornerback, could have used depth on the offensive line. And their first two picks are at position groups that you would think would be like the areas of least need on the entire mm-hmm. team, quarterback and running back. Um, yeah, certainly they could be thinking about losing Aaron Jones, not re-signing him in a, a year and, and you know, having to sort of make up for that. But just it's kind of misplaced value to make those sorts of investments. I think a second round investment on a – running back and, and not just a running back, but like a sort of a, an old school between the tackles grinder, not much of a pass catcher. And really, I don't think anyone would have pegged AJ Dillon as being anything close to a second round value. If he had not had a good combine as far mm. as running a pretty good 40 time at, you know, as one of the heavier running backs invited to the combine, um, you know, and then just a, a tight end who apparently they're not even going to play at tight end, playing him more as like a fullback or an H-back in the third round when it was widely assumed that there were no standout tight ends. And, um, <laughs> you know, you could just put on a blindfold and throw a dart at a tight end name in the sixth round and, you know, have just as good a chance of, of hitting the right one as you would picking someone in the third round. So, Well, Hunter Bryant went undrafted. And like, and he's he he was up there as one of the top two or three graded tight ends in in the class. I mean, clearly he's got an issue if all seventeen, all thirty two teams passed on him for seven rounds. Like, it's got to be something that tape analyzers have missed. It's got to be character or something. But apparently, there was something, um, some medical concern with him, where like he got red flagged by a number of teams for. Um, you know, some of the medical tests they did at the combine, but yes, to your point though, exactly. I mean, there were some well-regarded, well, I don't know if any of the tight ends in this class were really well-regarded, but some of the guys who appeared to be like top five tight ends in this class wound up going in the, you know, late in day three. Yeah. Yeah. I I suppose one good thing for you, Pat, is that the Bears drafted Cole Komet just to add to their complete bomb (laughs) of tight ends. So... (laughs) Yeah, they are collectors of tight ends, aren't they? So uh, that was interesting. Cole Komet went to high school, just maybe 10 minutes away from where I live. So uh, he's a a local guy. I have some cousins who uh, went to school with him. And um, yeah, I mean, I guess it was a nice story that they selected the local kid. But um, yeah, after signing Jimmy Graham to an immense contract, it was kind of an unusual selection. But one that's pretty typical of uh, of the Bears front office of late, I think. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's another front office that just need to, I don't know, understand that there are other positions that you can draft that aren't tight end or sign. <laughs> um, I think at one point they had 11, 12 tight ends on the roster. It was yes. a lot. I know they've started yes. cutting a couple, but I mean, man, why do you need so many tight ends? There's oh, some teams strange. that don't even have one or two on the roster <laughs> at this point. You think, geez. But yeah, I, I, the package draft will be interesting. I think it'll be one that we talked about for years to come as to what happens. And it's going to be interesting what, what happens with Rogers and how they feel. I, I got the impression with, with, with Dylan that he was taken because he is effectively, uh, if you had to comp him to any player in the NFL, 
and I wouldn't say it's the best comp, but it would be Derek Henry and sure. Matt LaFleur's going, right, I know what I'm going to do here. I'm going to take that Tennessee offense that I helped create and then the year I left went to the AFC title game based on the same sort of offense. And I'm just going to recreate that in Green Bay and just put, you know, a a quarterback who who can, you know, fit that scheme and then a running back that is a Derrick Henry type back that can just run in between the tackles, isn't a pass catch, it doesn't matter. But I think the fact that the Packers haven't taken a first round wide receiver since Javon Walker in 2002 um, kind of tells you everything you need to know that they just don't value wide receivers. And it's a strange position to not draft for in the first round for, 18 years and I get even not drafting one in the first round like this was such a deep class if you wanted to go and get one in the second round or even the third round you would have gone yeah fine not not a not a big problem but to not draft one at all and just rely on Devin Funches that's going to be a, a banging season to to wait and watch right and it does seem like they're very specifically trying to plug in players who fit Matt LaFleur's system unfortunately I think the best coaches take the talent around them and tailor the system to the talents rather than vice versa, which is why, you know, I'm not feeling all that great about Matt LaFleur right now, even though he went 13 and three in his rookie season. Yeah. I think he's, he's definitely set his stall out. And I mean, we know what fans are like in green Bay. It's a storied franchise. Um, we know what the standard is and 13 and three, one year, and then not doing anything for three or four years isn't isn't going to cut it. It's why Mike McCarthy lost his job and why everyone lost patience with him. And this guy delivered a ring. Um, it you know it'd be interesting if he delivers. I mean, what's your gut feeling on the Packers this season? I know you said you're not feeling good, but this team did go thirteen and three without the players drafted. They haven't seen a lot of churn on on the roster. Do you think they could? maybe not, you know, similar again or make the playoffs? I mean, what's, your, what's your gut feeling telling you right now as, as the roster stands? I think they have a reasonable chance to make the playoffs, but I don't think they were really as good as their record last year. And sort of the um, point differential suggests that they did get pretty lucky and, and you know, won basically all or most of the close games. And, um, you know, the games where they lost, they had their – doors blown off but like the 49ers twice and the chargers and um so yeah i i certainly do not think they are one of the nfl powerhouses as their record from last year might have suggested uh playoff contenders sure i mean they could still win the division but um you know i just don't think they did much to advance their cause in the offseason no but one thing we do get this year is aaron Rodgers versus tom brady on 18th of October. Uh, I've got that game circled. I'm looking forward to it personally. I think it's Yeah, gonna that's going to be fun. Yeah, it's going to be Tom Brady at Lambeau uh with with his new merry band of men and uh and yeah, it'd be interesting to see what happens there. I, I I'm sure I mean, it's a late game for us here. I think it kicks off around half 9, so um at least it's not Monday night football mm-hmm. or Sunday night football. So uh, at least can stay up and watch that. So I'll be watching the Packers on closely and seeing how they how they get on. Um, but in terms of one last thought on the draft, was there a team that, I mean, who was a team that surprised you in a good way with the draft that they put together and then a team who you felt drafted, either you could say worse than the, the, the Packers if you want, or you can say not as bad, but still pretty bad? 
Well, unfortunately, I thought the Vikings had a, a very good draft. Like their biggest needs were probably wide receiver and cornerback. And, you know, they were able to get Justin Jefferson and uh, what Jeff, Jeff Gladney uh, early on in the draft and still trade down, I think, before they took Gladney to actually pick up some extra draft capital and just seemed like they hit nice value throughout the draft. Um, you know, I'd also say that the Cardinals had a draft I liked a lot and uh, the Buccaneers really had probably one of the better drafts. I mean, Tristan Wirfs falling to them was a gift. I, I don't quite understand the thinking that Tristan Wirfs um, that I've seen where some people think he's eventually going to wind up at guard. I mean, I, I think when you no look for tackles, yeah, you want these super athletic uh, guys like Wirfs. Like, I don't think you necessarily want uh, just a giant like Mackay Becton. You know, I, I, Wirfs kind of reminds me of uh, Joe Thomas, who, you know, the stalwart left tackle for the Browns for a decade, who was just, you know, a tremendously athletic guy, high school basketball star. Um, you know, I think Wirfs has that sort of athleticism, and I think he's going to be their left tackle for a long, long time. And um, they got Antoine Winfield, who plays just like his dad, just this tenacious, smart, uh, slightly undersized, but really just gritty player. Um, you know, Keyshawn Vaughn could be the feature back they've been looking for, and maybe that Ronald Jones hasn't been for them yet. And uh, I love Tyler Johnson. I, I don't mm-hmm. understand why he fell so far in the draft. I mean, he was just so productive in college and, you know, I've watched a lot of university of Minnesota games and he's just, um, you know, a terrific player. Well, I mean, Bruce Arians, when he got him, he, for him, that was his pick of the draft. Like he absolutely could not believe that he sat there in the fifth round and, and was able to get him after trading away both the fourth round picks, one for, um, Gronkowski and the other to move up that one spot to get um, Tristan Wirfs. So I think uh, the way that he talks about Tyler Johnson is unlike any, I mean, he sounded more excited about Tyler Johnson than the Eagles sounded about Jalen Rager. Like, I just thought it was <laughs> like, he talked about like, I've just signed my new superstar wide receiver. I've never been happier. And he talked yeah. about the games that he saw him in the bowl game in particular. He was like, I have to have this kid. I have yeah. to draft this kid. And it was like Ty- amazing. Tyler Johnson was just so productive, uh, you know, hit the ground running as soon as he got to the university of Minnesota. And what's really telling, I think is that Minnesota has a wide receiver named Rashad Bateman who next year is probably going to be a top 15 overall pick and that Tyler Johnson was still a very prolific receiver even playing alongside Bateman this year so that's that's really telling um uh, Murph and Stocks can I ask you one quick question before we move on to the other stuff I'm I'm kind of curious so I know you guys are like dynasty league um connoisseurs and you know a lot of your (laughs) listeners play in dynasty leagues and everything but like what kind of scouting are you able to do over there do they show a lot of uh american college football over there or is it mostly just sort of research you guys are doing on your own like looking up film and you know reading about what other people are writing about these guys um so we get quite we get quite spoiled um with games here for college um the best route that we have here in the uk is espn player um which has a lot of the games that you can just download to your device and watch. And that's the way that I watch 
as many games as I can on on commutes uh, to and from work. That's kind of the majority of what I do on commutes. Um, I'm a big Gator fan, so uh, I plug in and watch all their games. I watch. I, I, I'll be honest, I'm more of an SEC guy. It's kind sure. of what I grew up with, so I tend to focus more on the SEC teams and um, and what goes on for me. It's a it's a perfect conference for if anybody. And I'm biased because I've I've been watching it for twenty odd years and. Anybody who is getting into college football, I think that's as good a conference to start as any. Uh, and that's it my is. bias probably trickling in. Um, but it has a lot of the great teams, but also some of the teams that even aren't what you call great teams on paper. And you look at the teams like Vanderbilt, for example. Vanderbilt and another conference would be uh, you know, a team that would be beyond their record. Um, it's just a division and conference they play in. They just play against elite teams. Um, Old Miss again is another one. Um, so yeah, we do get games, and then we have uh, we have BT Sport here, and they do college game day, and they do six hours of college football based on the games that uh, on college game day. So we do get some coverage, but I think to be honest, we we get to the end of the season. Uh, my process is I I look at um, sort of the first mock drafts that come on, we subscribe to the draft network, for example, I, I start looking at that. And then I start looking at players who are potentially going in early rounds and then start to find YouTube videos or um, tape from certain other analysts that, that they put together and then start to form my own opinions. And, you know, we're, we're big into the, the rookie scouting portfolio for some of the offensive players. So there's a lot of things that we use to, we're still not expert grinders of tape. Like there's still a lot of the technical stuff and the things like the footwork and Twitch that I don't identify with as well. But when I read it and learn, then I go, okay, right, I can see what they mean by that and I can see why that's useful. So it's a combination of taking expert analysis and then uh, trying to watch it and then look at what we've seen in the past and try and tie it into into that so that's kind of where we get our analysis from it's a lot of research and work but uh, man i love doing it and we try and do as many sort of mock drafts as we can and this year we did a mock draft event where um so we did one in public to last year and we had um 100 uk fans and we took over uh, a ground floor of a casino and um used the, the mock draft uh, machine from the draft network and had the fans from each team pick uh, players uh, as if they were conducting the mock, uh, the, the mock draft themselves or the draft themselves. And uh, this year we did it online and we did a full seven round mock with trades and then did a full seven round mock, not our teams without trades. And um, the knowledge of the draft here is definitely mass, well, it's massively picked up in the last few years and fans are becoming more, knowledgeable and excited about the draft and it's a proper event here that perhaps it wasn't five years ago oh brilliant and uh what a great idea to do that fans mock draft that sounds like a lot of fun yeah it, it really it was, was. so this this year is a shame we had to do it um online and but we sure. we found some great people who we'd never met before and never interacted with and um some people who i think will will be to long-term friends as a result of it because of their passion and um, I thought the, the mock draft that we did looked um, looked pretty good on paper in terms of there were some misses in there, but you could understand why they were missed. Um, you know, it, I thought it was a, a good exercise to do. And as a result, people were going away and learning more. And again, I think the research and tools that you've got now with, with services like the Draft Network, you can 
you can really dig into the draft and, and find players you want to analyze and, and go into. I think the hard thing for us is things like the smaller schools and how to balance between a, a star at a small school. I'm always more cautious and go, okay, well, he did that at, you know, in the MAC conference. Okay. Like, I, you know, so I was historically lower on players like Devin Singletree um and players that, that don't play against good opposition i keep saying to stocks all the time and he asked me what was their schedule like and i was like their schedule was pretty pretty rubbish therefore i'm less interested and you'll always miss a few players like that but i am always the more cautious approach if they're playing against uh elite competition every week then and and they put the numbers up then you're more likely to trust what they produce Oh, sure. And that's a challenge here, too. I mean, you know, we rarely get a chance to see Appalachian State, for instance. So, uh, you know, I've never seen Antonio Gandy-Golden play just highlights because he played at Liberty, which is never on television. So, uh, yeah, I think that's a challenge for everyone. Yeah, absolutely. But it's, it's great to see. I would also like to, you know, one of the ways to make the NFL better is by playing fantasy football. And I, last year, I did my first college fantasy football, and that was massive for me, just looking at the players who scored well on a weekly basis. Even if my team was rubbish, I still got an insight into players, which it wasn't Pat. I ended up winning the ship, but don't worry about that. We, um, <laughs> <laughs> the, the names that I learned just... Well, that, no, that was, it, it was a big part for me that I managed to walk away the champion. Talk, talk about your draft strategy. <laughs> <laughs> so, I... I No, we won't, we won't talk about that, but... Um, <laughs> Yeah, the names, just learning the names from the waiver wire and, and the names that were available and on other people's teams and just from knowing p- players on people's rosters, you pick up names and therefore, like Tyler Johnston's, for instance, I wouldn't, sure. I wouldn't have known who he was because the, the Bucks drafted him in the fifth round. He, he was a wide receiver at Minnesota. It means nothing if you don't know who he is. But because I knew who he was from playing fantasy football and I knew that he was pretty good, you then think, well, actually... You know, next year or the year after, I think he could be pretty good. Whereas if you don't know that and and you don't know his name, you sort of got to step down on everyone else. I, I've got to be slightly honest. When we, um, when the the board was coming into the start of the fifth round, Tyler Johnson wasn't the wide receiver I wanted for the Bucks. Um, I actually really wanted Gandy Golden. I thought the way that he develops and plays the game. And his aptitude to just pick up anything. They're talking about how he, I read an article that he basically went from not playing golf to like eight weeks later playing down at a 12 handicap. He just has this immense ability to whatever he puts his mind to, he's very good at. And I, I like guys like that because guys that are smart and will learn learning from Arians and learning from the players around. He was the player I wanted. So I was a little bit, I'm still, I'm happy now that we've got Johnson, but I was a little bit gutted. We didn't get Gandy Golden, but you can't really be moaning with a a fifth round pick as as good as either of those players. Yeah. He's, he's interesting. He's a polarizing guy. I mean, I know a lot of people like him and I've heard that about him, that he's this exceptional young man who seems to learn things very quickly. Um, You know, he'll definitely need how to, get off the line of scrimmage quickly and beat press coverage. I guess that's kind of the big knock against him and, and sort of why I didn't quite like him as much as Tyler Johnson or uh, Quintez Cephas, who was another fifth round pick. Um, but yeah, like he as a size speed prospect. Gandy Golden is certainly intriguing and gets opportunity right away with Washington. Yeah, he really does. I think that's a great landing spot for him and I'm excited to see how he, how he develops, but 
speaking of prospects, we've kind of gone into our, our next topic, which was led by your brilliant question in terms of dynasty strategy. So you mentioned you've been sort of playing dynasty over the last couple of years. If you were doing a startup dynasty league today, um, what would be your approach to it? Would it be to try and go out and win now um, and not really worry about the ages and get, you know, go for veterans and and try and go out to to win the championship first year or do you tend to build for future success to try and get those uh two or three championships in a row or or long-term success in the league well first of all merv not such a hypothetical question because i did just (laughs) begin a uh dynasty startup and it was a best ball draft with some friends um and it's also super flex. So you can play two quarterbacks and that boosts the value of quarterbacks a little, but just in general, I think with dynasty startups, my strategy is to, I guess the easiest way to put it is try to win the championship in year two. Like I'm, I'm never going to go for the older, like I, I definitely want the, the strong base of youth, but um, you know, I, I do prefer sort of established youth uh, guys like, Juju Smith-Schuster, for instance, or um, maybe Josh Jacobs, guys we've seen like have some level of success at the NFL but are still very young, as opposed to I'm, some guys can easily pick the low-hanging older fruits in these drafts and, and immediately build a, like a strong title contender. I generally don't like that approach, um, you know, just because I want to – put myself in a position where if things don't work out in the playoffs, you know, we talked about that in the intro, how you can have a great regular season and just one poor week in the playoffs brings you down, um, you know, and then you're stuck with an old team if things don't work out in year one. So I kind of like that youth base and uh, with a, a team that's usually like a t- title contender by year two and a strong title contender by year three. Do you think it's possible to do both, Pat? Uh, like, really challenge for the championship in in year one and then have a strong foundation going forward by picking up youth players or almost rookies that you think aren't going to be later on in the draft in a startup so you grab a few vets early on with a few rookies and then you you grab a couple of rookies towards the end of the draft that you think come year two year three will be the guys and they almost automatically take over from your old guard without having to draft those players in the years coming I do stocks. I mean, I think it, it just has to be obviously the right guys. You have to, you know, get on the, on the ground floor of some young players who are on the verge of superstardom. And, um, you know, if you, that doesn't mean that you don't take any veterans whatsoever, especially in the later rounds, there are going to be values on older guys who fall. I mean, Tom Brady and Drew Brees, aren't that a, attractive maybe in the early rounds of a dynasty startup but you know still very viable quarterbacks and if you're playing super flex and need two quarterbacks um you know at some point I think you just sort of say okay I'll I'll deal with you know another quarterback later on if if Brady's only going to play another year or two mm-hmm. um but yeah so I, I do think it can be done you know it's maybe a, a tougher needle to thread if you're mostly going with the youth-based approach and um, you know, you, you might not be a favorite going into a season, but I, I do think it can be done. You just have to uh, get a little bit lucky with picking the right players. Maybe. Yeah, no, I agree. I just think like, for instance, when Lamar came out, he was one of those players that you could have grabbed that perhaps people weren't quite as high on because he was only a running quarterback and couldn't throw the ball. And if you did manage to grab him, you, you struck gold there. And I mean, that is an extreme example I know, but 
Well, it's, it's not really, because there's, I had, um, after Patrick Mahomes played one game, I took Patrick Mahomes in three startup uh, dynasty drafts the following year in one was the 16th round and the other two were, I think, the 15th round. And, I mean, that's just amazing value. He ends up being the QB1 that year. I know I'm set at the, the QB position for the next 10 years. I don't have to worry about drafting another guy. Yeah, those are great examples. And, uh, you know, maybe someone like Jalen Hurts, who is an afterthought in a lot of dynasty startups this year, winds up being one of the better quarterbacks. I mean, he certainly has that running dimension to his game that could make him immensely valuable in fantasy. Yeah, absolutely. I I think Jacob Eason is also a little bit of a a steal here because he's practically free in in every league. And less super flex, you probably get some people picking him up and putting him on a taxi squad. But he's a guy you can pick up right at the very end of drafts who, you know, one year after Rivers, we know Rivers is going to be gone. The guy could be the starter in, in Indianapolis next year. And if he's not and you stash him in your taxi squad and he doesn't make the grade, yeah, you can cut him. It's not You're not even using a roster spot on the guy. Like that, it's guys like that that you can really win big on very early or – or, or you know, and if not, you're you're not wasting a you know you're wasting like an 18th round pick on 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 Jacob Eason. Like you're, you're not going to lose sleep if it doesn't pan out. <laughs> yeah, and uh, you know Eason can fire it through a brick wall, Murph. I'm just not sure he can hit the brick wall from 20 yards out. But <laughs> well, look at Josh Allen, but he is still a viable quarterback True. in fantasy football. That's that's what Eason is. I think the, the less mobile Josh Allen. Yeah, but I think you never know. Just with some guys with some good coaching and. Um, sure. time to develop could could be the guy i mean late rounds in drafts you just you're taking shots and and it's these guys that will win you leagues if you if you do get it right and end up in a in an excellent position i know there was a league where um there was some i was playing in a, a league last year and, and someone drafted um jared stidham um last year sort of the last pick of the draft and uh, everyone's like well, why have you taken a day three quarterback for the patriots all right, Tom Brady's behind them, but they've done this. They draft a QB every year or two. Like, he's going to be nothing. And he's now got another starter in his Superflex roster uh, this season, unless something drastic happens. So, you know. Yeah, he, and every every year we see running backs in particular who go undrafted or are drafted in the seventh round who, um, you know, someone gets hurt or, or is disappointing. And, um, you know, that just seems like a tough place for – pro teams to judge talent. So they often miss these guys. So it wouldn't be a shock if someone like um, James Robinson on the Jaguars, uh, you know, all it would take is maybe a Leonard Fournette injury for James Robinson to have a, a big opportunity. And, you know, he was a guy, I think a lot of people were somewhat surprised that he wasn't drafted. Um, you know, a guy who had a pretty good off season um, and, and, you know, was a very productive player, albeit at a small school, I think it was Southern Illinois University. I might be wrong about that. But um, anyway, so, yeah, it can definitely be done. You just have to, uh, you know, hit that hit that magic darts with some of these uh, late throws. Yeah, absolutely. In, in rookie drafts, then, who – let's go with a couple of different scenarios. Um, can you give us one name for – say the top three picks in the first round, one name for sort of the middle of round one and one name for the end of round one that you'd be targeting depending on where you're, you're picking. So for rookies, my guy is uh, Jonathan Taylor. Um, you know, I, 
there's a debate for sure between Jonathan Taylor and Clyde Edwards Hilaire. Um, you know, a lot of people like Edwards Hilaire because of the landing spot with Kansas City, and he was a terrific part of that powerhouse LSU offense last year. But, um, you know, he had basically one season of college, elite college production, and is pretty small, whereas Jonathan Taylor has had three incredible seasons of college production for, uh, and I'll show my bias here, for the university. I attended the University of Wisconsin. Um, but yeah, Taylor's just been spectacular. And maybe coming into this last year, the, the two most concerning parts of his games were the occasional fumbles and that he wasn't regarded as much of a pass catcher. But before the 2019 season, he asked his coaches if they could get him more involved in the passing game. He wanted to get that on film for the NFL teams. And um, they did start throwing to him more. And it was definitely to the benefit of the offense as a whole, because uh, I think he had like five touchdown catches, um, you know, including one against Minnesota in the game that won Wisconsin, the big 10 uh, West mm-hmm. division. So um, just super fast, really strong, good size and, very nimble footwork. And I think he's going to be terrific behind, you know, one of the best offensive lines in the league in Indianapolis. So he would be my favorite guy, the middle round guy, I think with some of the running backs like JK Dobbins and Cam Akers starting to go early, you're seeing now in a lot of drafts, um, maybe this is more in the super flex. I mean, if you can get CD lamb or Jerry Judy at like five or six or seven greats, Maybe not if the league isn't super flex, but uh, in that case, I I really like Jalen Rager, who's going to have a chance for the Eagles right away. Terrific speed and pretty good size, and I think he's going to be a force right away paired with a good quarterback in Carson Wentz. Um, And my favorite, like, end of the first round, very early second round pick is LaVisca Chenault, um, Mm. you know, who was sort of hamstrung by bad – just a bad offense and a bad team in general and some injury issues, um, which also kind of affected the 40 time he ran. He had like a core injury for the combine, but this guy is just like, um, what's the best comparison? Maybe a younger, faster version of Anquan Bolden, just big and really hard to tackle. And, you know, a guy who's probably going to be used as sort of a short area receiver, get the ball in his hands and let him, um, you know, outmaneuver and just run over people. So I like Chenault a lot. That's Stocks' guy, Chenault. Yeah, he was terrific. I mean, coming into 2019, I think everyone just assumed he was going to be a sure first rounder. And then things just sort of, uh, the combination of injuries and just poor supporting cast hurt his draft stock a little bit. But um, yeah, I mean, I'd almost be worried if I was a DJ Chark owner because I think Chenault could possibly take over as the number one receiver there yeah, yeah that's fair I, d- I don't like DJ Tark at his uh, ADP at the moment I think he's going as like anywhere between the wide receiver 12 to the wide receiver 16 and I just think I, d- I don't want part of that um, I think he struggles potentially to get into the top 24 this year you've got Chenault you've got the uncertainty of guard the Minshew You've got a very crowded receiver room. You don't know what's going on in the backfield. Yeah, I, I don't want I don't want in um, on DJ Chark at anything higher than 
if he's available in in the sixth round of redrafts, I'd probably have a look. But yeah, I'd, anything higher than that, I don't I don't think I want to know. So Pat, well, what about you know round two, end of round two guys towards the turn? Who 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 have you got as your late round two, early round three guys? Round two, I've been getting Josh Kelly quite a bit. Um, you know, I don't think Austin Eckler is going to play a workhorse type role, even though he doesn't need one to be valuable. But I think they're going to look for someone on those early downs and maybe Josh Kelly, I think, could be a little bit more in line than Justin Jackson. Um, and, and maybe even before him, I think we talked about Appalachian State uh, not being a very visible college here uh in terms of you know television exposure but Darrington Evans um I think a lot of people like as a prospect and just because he has that three down skill set and he's immediately going to be the number two behind Derrick Henry and uh, obviously you know Henry is going to get this massive role as long as he can take it but it would only take one injury to you know, unlock a lot of opportunity for Evans. And as it is, Evans is going to have a base level of value, I think, because of the passing down usage. Um, yeah, and that's it. I Like Brian Edwards is slipping a little bit, um, you know, very good SEC receiver who, um, you know, maybe just below that top tier of wide receivers who's uh, generally available like later in the second round of most rookie startups. And then, you know, the deeper sleepers, um, you know, I mentioned Tyler Johnson. He's probably like a late second or early third round guy. And uh, I briefly mentioned another Wisconsin guy, and I'm biased here too, but Quintez Cephas, who I think a lot of people are down on just because he ran a slow time at the 40, but that's not really his game. I think why he's going to make the transition in the NFL successfully is that he is so strong and so good at getting off the line of scrimmage against press coverage. I really think that's going to help him uh, make the jump to the pros. I think I agree with Cephas, although he does have the most confusing mock draftable chart I've ever seen. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever seen it. Go, definitely go and look up Cephas's mock draftable from his stats from the combine. It, it doesn't make any sense because you, you get this. He's just so peak and troughs. So there's nowhere where he's average. He's either exceptional or really poor. Right. I think <laughs> he, the most bench press reps of any receiver. Um, can't remember what he did. I think he did really well in one of the jumps too, maybe yeah. like a standing high jump or whatever. Terrible 40 time. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> he definitely is good. But, you know, as long as he's not really being asked to win as a, a speed receiver, which he's never going to be, he's a possession receiver for sure. But, you know, he is a, a strong guy and great at getting off the line. So, yeah, I, I think he's, a, he's an exciting player. I remember doing a mock draft for the Buccaneers and taking him uh, with a late fourth round pick and being quite happy with that. So I think he's a, he's a good player um, for sure and has a bright future if he can fulfill that and, and get his potential, but got a few minutes left. Um, thought it'd be really good just to go through if we were doing a startup today and you were left with some of these scenarios keen to pick your brain as to who you would be drafting uh, and why. Um, so the first one we'll come up with is it's a, you know, end of round one of a, of a startup draft and you can take either Josh Jacobs, Jonathan Taylor or Clyde Edwards Hilaire. Um, who, which one of those three would you be taking in that scenario and, and why? So right now I just uh, did my dynasty rankings. Uh, they've been done for a while, but I sort of polished them up and I had Jacobs sixth at running back ta- or excuse me, sorry. I had Jonathan Taylor sixth, 
Jacob's eighth and Edwards Hilaire 11th. And I actually just took Taylor in a started dynasty startup. The one I was telling you about, I picked 10th and took Kyler Murray, but in the second round at 203, I traded down to 209 and took Taylor at 209. So, cool. I mean, I'm just immensely confident in Taylor. Uh, after watching him, I just don't think, barring an injury, there's just any chance he fails. And I, I don't see Marlon Mack as really uh, blocking his path. So what did you get? What value did you get for that trade back, Pat? Now that I'm trying to remember, I think I dropped, I think I gave up maybe, uh, gained like a third round pick and gave up a fifth or something like that for, or gained a third and gave up a sixth, something like that, or a fourth and a seventh. I wish I could remember the exact benefit, but it came a couple rounds later. Sounds like a decent drop off though, if you still managed to get your guy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he was kind of the guy I was pinpointing and, and felt, you know, if I could do it and pick up a little something for it, why not? Makes yeah. it easier. Well, one of the things I've heard so many people say about Dynasty is, you know, it, in a startup as well, go and get your guy. I think it was Joe Pizapia last week on our show, and he said, Dynasty, just rookie, go and get your guy. Don't be afraid to, to plant your flag and say, I want this guy. And the fact you got him spots later and managed to get value for it the trade as well is is the ideal draft situation yeah that that was kind of it i really wanted him i'm a fan i mean part of it was i wanted a team i was gonna like and uh you know getting this terrific running back from my school was kind of a good way to start i i i can totally understand that i think taylor's i sang his praises before uh the draft um i like the landing spot i think it's all it's all good um, I think we were on a conversation the other day and I said if I was taking uh, the, we were talking about the 2019 and 2020 running backs merging them out of draft and forget landing spot who would you, who would you rank based on talent and I put Taylor one um, I actually put Jacobs ahead of Swift and Clyde de um just based on talent but Taylor was the guy I totally see why I think he's going to be an exceptional player for years um and all that tread and no injuries is is really important as well he's got just a good profile all around you're looking perhaps a, a little bit later on three guys that are kind of clustered together uh in rankings and adp mike evans amari cooper or dj moore i've got Moore sixth among wide receivers evans 10th and cooper 11th and close enough i think you're really sort of uh you know parsing the small things here and and just with Cooper I mean I worry a little bit now that he's got CD Lamb and mm. Michael Gallup to compete uh for with targets and uh you know just there were times last year when I don't know I guess I was a little disappointed he had some big games he certainly had a great game against uh my Packers in a losing effort but um I know there were other times he just his play seemed sort of off the the terrible play he had against or game he had against New England. I know he might have been nursing an injury, but um, you know I've been a very pro Amari Cooper uh, supporter in past years. Uh, still am, but I, now whereas I used to think that he would eventually become one of the elites, I think now he's he's maybe going to level off maybe at that low end wide receiver one high end wide receiver two range. Um, you know, I like Evans too, but the competition with Godwin and who knows what the Buccaneers are going to be doing at quarterback a year or two from now when Brady is gone. 
I just like the progression we've seen from DJ Moore. Um, he's positioned to just be the alpha receiver in Carolina for a long time. I don't know if Teddy Bridgewater is necessarily their answer quarterback, but um, you know, whatever they do with that position, I, th- I think Moore is going to be the centerpiece of that uh, passing game, at least for the wide receivers. Obviously McCaffrey's going to be a big part of it too, but um, yeah, I do like Moore's future a lot. I understand that one. Next group, similar ilk, uh, Alvin Kamara, Joe Mixon, or Dalvin Cook? I've got to go with Kamara there. Um, you know, there there wasn't this type of impact you were hoping for last year, but still, if that's like a disappointing season for Alvin Kamara, that's pretty good. And, um, you know, probably never going to be a workhorse, but um, maybe that's a good thing. Saves a little bit of the the wear and tear, and maybe he'll age a little bit better than Ezekiel Elliott, who's, you know, been nothing but terrific, but has also, you know, logged a lot of carries and might have a shorter shelf life. Um, you know, and, and this is almost like giving short shrift to Mixon. I mean, Mixon's second half of last season was so spectacular. Um, you know, I've got Kamara third, Elliott fourth, and Mixon seventh. And, um, you know, I, I really do like Mixon, and I think I've got him ranked a lot higher than some other people do for Dynasty, but he would still be my third guy in this group. Nick Chubb, Austin Eckler, or Aaron Jones? That's a tough one. Um, Chubb, I think, just for uh, youth and the fact that I think the Browns seem committed to, to building around him. You know, even though they brought in Hunt, I think that was sort of an insurance policy thing, and, and you know, Hunt will play out this year and then probably be gone. Um, you know, Jones, especially after they brought in Dylan, not sure where he's going to be playing a year or two from now. Um, you know, although I am pretty sold on the talent there as well as I am with Chubb. And, um, you know, I like Eckler, but I just, I don't think he's ever going to play that workhorse role because he's a smaller guy. Um, do believe in the talent, but I wonder if, you know, maybe he's eventually like sort of a satellite back plus. That's fine. Got a battle of the Browns here. AJ Brown, Hollywood Brown, or Terry McLaurin. He's not a Brown, but. <laughs> well, <laughs> I've got to go with AJ Brown. I mean, I, I think he was uh, probably the most well-rounded receiver to come out of last year's class. And he's the only guy of that group out of the top in the top 10. I think he's nine for me, uh, dynasty at receiver. McLaurin is 13 and I love him. And I just got him in that startup I was doing. Um, you know, and for me, I'm not quite as high on Hollywood as anyone else. I mean, he's just, it's the slight build that concerns me. I mean, he's standing in the huddle with these 300 pound linemen and I see, uh, you know, it looks like one of my 13 year old son's friends snuck into the Ravens huddle along with uh, these massive linemen. I just wonder if he is going to hold up or, or ever to be, ever be able to be a high volume receiver um, as small as he is. So I'm, I'm not a huge uh, investor in Hollywood Brown at this point. Yeah, I think I'm with think, you. Yeah, me too. I think quite a few people almost got well the Hollywood, you know, is Hollywood Hollywood by name, Hollywood by nature maybe. Maybe they got drawn in by the glitz and glamour of it all last year by drafting him a little bit early and maybe sort of think, "Oh, we should have gone AJ Brown or something like that." But so how about Michael Pittman, Robert Woods or Jalen Rieger? Oh, interesting. Um so I would definitely put Rieger ahead of Pittman who was sort of a one-year wonder in college. I mean, I know a lot of people 
a lot of the NFL people love him and think he's this high character kid, but you know, one season of good production in what I consider to be kind of a weak conference, the PAC 12. Um, I think I would have to go with Robert Woods there. Um, while looking at my dynasty rankings, I've Woods 27th and Rager 28th at wide receiver. Uh, so pretty close with the age difference. Woods is going to be playing in his age 28 season, but um, you know, he's been so dependable, uh, not a great touchdown score. And that's really the only knock on him. And boy, if you look at his game logs for what he did late in the season last year, I mean, he was just spectacular uh, as far as the volume of business he was doing. And now there's no Brandon cooks there. So I think Woods is going to be really productive for, you know, another couple of years at least. Yeah. And then final, final one for this, uh, for this group is Nikhil Harry, Anthony Miller or Preston Williams. Wow. That's a tough one. And I like all these guys. In fact, in that startup, I came away with uh, Harry and Williams. Um, Let's see, looking at rankings, I've got, I think I would go with Harry first out of these guys. Uh, Just with Preston Williams, really like what he did early on before tearing the ACL. But, well, you've got the torn ACL to worry about and the fact that he was not a uh, top-level prospect anyway. Went undrafted, shouldn't have gone undrafted. I mean, he was a better prospect by that, and I think people were surprised he wasn't drafted. Um, plus, you've got the the uncertainty at quarterback and whether Tua is going to be as good as advertised or able to stay healthy. Um, you know, I know Harry's got the quarterback concerns too, but uh, they did make a big investment in him. He was a pretty pretty strong prospect as far as just you know dimensions, college production, uh, produced early in college, which is a good sign. Um, so. And as much as I like Anthony Miller and, and seem to always wind up with him in best ball drafts, um, you know, Allen Robinson is clearly the alpha there. So I guess Harry is the one guy who could eventually become an alpha receiver. Maybe he has the easiest path there. Yeah. It sounds like you're, you've got a team. You mentioned earlier, Pat, that you wanted to get a team that you liked. And it sounds like you pretty much got all your guys. So it sounds like you, you're really enjoying the team you just drafted in the dynasty startup. <laughs> I really did. I'm, I'm maybe a little light at running back after Taylor. I think I've Chris Carson. And after that, it's, uh, you know, a bunch of sort of long shots, but I really like the wide receivers, you know, Kyler Murray is a guy. It's going to be fun to uh, watch develop and, um, you know, tight end is kind of a mixed bag, but yeah, I, I do like the teams. And with this, a good group of friends and a dynasty startup, I, I did want a team that I liked first and foremost. Well, sounds like you've most certainly got it. Right, Pat, let's finish off with one spicy hot fantasy take for the upcoming 2020 season. The floor is yours. Well, I've been chirping on about Jonathan Taylor throughout the show, so I might as well just stay there and uh, predict that he will be a top 10 running back for redraft and uh, quite possibly top five this year. Like I just because he's a rookie, I think he's going to have an ADP outside at the top 15 running backs probably, but I think he's going to outperform Clyde Edwards Alaire and, uh, you know, be just a tremendous value. Maybe a guy you should target at that two, three turn. That's spicy. (laughs) I love that. Yeah. It all depends on Mac for me. Um, If Mac is, if they're going to run Mac more as a result of uh, he's in his last year and they might just, you know, 
plow him into the ground a little bit, then that's my only reason he can't do it. It certainly won't be talent. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't think they traded up for uh, Taylor in the second round to, to, you know, have Max stand in his way. And I, I do think Taylor is just the superior talent. You know, Max not bad, but uh, they are definitely clearing the runway for Taylor in Indianapolis, I believe. Yeah, 100%. Well, Pat, this has been an absolute blast. Thank you so much for coming back on. Why won't you uh, let Rush Nation know where they can find you and, and all your stuff on the internet? Well, Murph and Stocks, always great to be on with you guys. Uh, appreciate that you would, uh, you know, put up with me for three episodes. So uh, very nice of you to extend this invitation. Um, on Twitter, you can find me at Fitz, F-I-T-Z underscore F-F. Uh, you can always find my rankings and articles at thefootballgirl.com, the site owned and operated by my friend, Melissa Jacobs. She's the football girl, not me. <laughs> and um, yeah, and that's about it. Other than the podcast fits on fantasy, which, uh, you know, just Google that and you'll find me on all the uh, major podcast platforms. Definitely give that a listen to anyone who's new. Um, it's a slightly different format to other podcasts out there because you, you pick one person and you really go deep into uh, them as a person and then you get into really interesting topics that come up but then you also have quite fun uh, conversations as well um, just in general whether it's about music or um, or beer or food and just cultural things it's just I, I just love it because it's it's more of a it's more of a well-rounded podcast than just having someone on and just talking about uh, a set topic it's, it just goes into a bit more detail it's it's just a fun out i love listening to the podcast every week and um it's yeah it's, i've always said it, it's one of my favorites that, that never leaves my rotation and uh hopefully our new listeners if you've not heard it definitely download it because you you will enjoy it and there's some great uh previous episodes on there as well with some really really stellar people on Oh, well, thanks, Murph. Yeah, this is a good example where a lot of, uh, you know, certainly a lot of rankings talk with John Paulson, one of the best rankers uh, among the fantasy media. But also, you know, we got a new John's encounter with the white stripes at an airport fast food restaurant. So uh, always a variety of topics like to keep it uh, a little more diverse than some of the other fantasy podcasts, I guess. You definitely do that. Well, Pat, thank you so much for coming on, buddy. And don't worry, there will be a fourth appearance. I have no doubt about that 100%. Fantastic, gentlemen. Stay safe, both of you. Cheers. Same to you, Pat. You too, Pat. Right, Rush Nation. Nerf, this has been an absolute fun, but we do have to go, unfortunately. Pat can't stay here all day long. Don't forget, stay safe. Keep washing those hands. And until we next grace your eardrums, as always, don't forget, keep rushing. You can live a long, healthy life if you're HIV positive. With the current treatments, we can get patients down to being undetectable. The array of options is so much greater today. U equals U. Undetectable equals untransmittable. If someone who's HIV positive, they're taking their medication, they're undetectable, they're not able to pass HIV to their partners. Do it for you, Montgomery County. Your HIV treatment is their prevention. Get more information at doitforumc.org. 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.